Yeah, they just happened to sneak up on me when I was preparing uh, chicken dinner for the shelter, about 150 people. And they walk in with a camera and say, hey, Bill, turn around. I went, oh, you're lovely. Thank you so much for doing that. So, yes, we have a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to feeding. The whole reason that we've chosen 1,000 families is because I really didn't choose it. I told them all 700, and when I got the printed material, they told me we were doing 1,000. Bless their hearts. Because they heard some guy say that when you're in a ministry and a project, if you don't pick a project that requires faith, then you're really not showing faith. Somebody should have told him to shut up. But anyway, <laughs> so that's how we are where we are, and we are blessed to be a part of this. And, and the outpouring has been great from all the churches in Costa Mesa. It has been amazing. But why we're here this morning, for the first time in a long time, I get to actually teach what we call a narrative, which is a story out of the New Testament. And I get a really exciting story. So I have to lay a caveat down very first to say, if I get a little excited... <sighs> It's Eric's fault. So we're going we're gonna to take on Acts 5. We're going to go from verses 12 all the way to 42. And we're going to do this in sections, and I'm going to tell you stories in between because all of these pieces in this story show how God works in our lives. One of the ways about teaching the Bible that I find the most fun is to look at how God works in the backstories. Because, see, whether you all know it or not, there was a whole lot of preparation in heaven for you to be able to be here this morning. They had to make sure that all of you had the desire, had the ways to get here, had the means to do this. Every way God works in our lives every single day is amazing. And a lot of times, we don't think about that. We don't think about the fact that, you know what? I had the gas in my car to be able to get to church today. And I didn't have anything, emergency, family emergencies come up or stuff that I was able to come and, and hear the word of God today and, and be a part of great worship. By the way, I just want to say thank you to Noel. She's, that, that was amazing this morning. It's... And, Worship leaders like that make it very hard on pastors to come up and talk afterwards, but that's okay. So we're going to be in Acts 5, and, and the amazing part about this story is that you're going to see the way that God works in the lives of everyday normal people. Okay, well, I'm not a normal people. I've been told that several times, but there are normal people out there like all of you that get every day get to see how God works in your life. And we don't notice it a lot of times. And what I'm going to ask you today is let's start thinking about all, the, especially for the next 60 days. If there's any th time of the year that the faith-based organizations, that's what we call them when we work for the city um, of Costa Mesa. But what we call them is the faith-based organizations. Churches are faith-based. Then there's other things like Trellis, like Fresh Beginnings. But we all are faith-based in one, one time of the year, they believe, one time a year alone. And when people look at us, they say, oh, this is your time of year. And I say, well, actually in January, people are hungry too. I don't know if you knew that, but they eat more than just two months out of the year. So what we have to do is we have to sit down and be able to say at this time of year, you're so right, guess what? God provided the other 10 months so that we could be here today. That's the great part of what God does. So... I'm going to talk about several different groups of people in this story today because this was one of the fun times when God moved behind the scenes. It was noticed by those power brokers that Eric likes to call them. And then it was also noticed by 
the people who just sat and listened and watched this whole thing go on like a tennis match of what's going on. So I've had to create a couple of special slides, and I want to say thank you to Mark for making this the one happen. You'll see when it is. But let's start in Acts 5. Um, we're going to go to verses 12 to 16 first, because I'm going to talk about that a little bit. No, I don't have them up on the screen. I'm going to encourage you to reach down and pull out the Bibles that are in front of you if you don't have one with you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take those home. We got lots of them, and we'll put more in there, but they're yours to take. So please feel free to take that. Um, Eric will even sign it for you if you need him to, you know, his eminence and all that good stuff. All right, so Acts 5, verses 12 to 16, because he's going to get me next time, so I get to do this by now. All right, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, or Solomon's porch in some verses, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord. Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter walked by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick and afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. We're going to stop for that little section, okay? Because like I said, we've got to build this story. This is, this is going to be. And guys, I couldn't make up a play this good. This is so much fun. We're going to have a good time with this. So here we go. So first off, they're in Solomon's portico. What it is is the, the temple has this little porch area where that... that the public who cannot get into the temple. The temple was a very special place in Jerusalem. It was a place where only those of Jewish descent, or part of Israel, or those who had proselyted and changed to Judaism could go into. And even then, once they got into the temple court area, there was one side, let's say this side over here, would be the Gentile side. And they would call them Gentiles because they were not born of Israel. However, they were allowed in the temple because they had changed over to Judaism. And then you got in the middle, in the back, like kind of like where Brad is back here in the drums, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And that's a whole other story in there about what the, the high priest did in there. And they used to tie a, a rope to his ankle. And if he was not a holy man and he dropped dead, they would drag him out by the rope. That's another story as well. I gave you that one for free. So then over on this side, you had the Jewish temple, the Jewish court. And this was where all the families of Israel could hang out. And this is a very important part of the story that you understand all these things. But then, out in front, much like where you all are, there's a place called Solomon's Porch. And it was the place where that if the temple wanted to make announcements to the people, if they wanted people to see how it is to be a part of Jewish religion, if they wanted to know what the Israelite commoners were doing, many times they... <laughs> many times they would go out there to and bring the, the offering baskets out there so that they could see how to give offerings in case anybody outside wanted to give more money. Because evidently, even in those times, churches were always trying to get more money. But that's another story. So we, we have to watch and see that how God starts to work there. In that building that was built so long before that, much like this one, people of faith were gathering. And sometimes they knew why they were there, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they just thought, oh, I'm going to go to the store, and they walked by the temple. When they walked by it, they could hear things going on 
whether it's the shofars, the, the big horns that were coming out, or the singing, the masses that were singing and things, um, the cantors, the worship leaders of, of their day, singing their songs. They never knew. But during all of this, during all of this, the apostles were all around them doing signs and wonders. Now, this does not mean that they were carrying, you know, signs that says, you know, make America great again or anything like that, you know, make Israel great again. They weren't doing any of that. No, they were reaching out on people who had severe sicknesses and they were reaching out and touching them and they were getting healed. You know, much like July 8th, 2018, when another man was up here, well, I was up here preaching with a big machine on me and those of you may remember me carrying that thing. And then y'all came in the back and prayed for me. And three days later, the doctors were all marveled and couldn't figure out what it is. And they said, what did you do? And I said, it wasn't me. It was all the crazy people at my church, man. They gathered around me and God worked through them and touched this. And it was the power of God through this congregation. You see, at any given moment, you never know when the power of God's going to come down. And that's the fun part about this story is that when the apostles had their signs and wonders and did this fun stuff... We read that now, all of a sudden, the high priest is getting very upset. We look at verse 17. Because all the people around them are getting to God's power. They're in awe at the hand of the disciples. They want to blame Peter, and they want to blame that. Notice how in that whole narrative, in that scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, but it never says that they were healed because of Peter's shadow. They weren't healed because of Peter's shadow. They were healed because they would reach out to the power of God, and he would work through them. That's how it really worked. It was all because of the power of God working through his normal, everyday people. Hmm. I wonder if that happens in 2019. I'll get to that in just a second. Verse 17, he says, But the high priest rose up along with his associates, that was the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Amazing how these men who were supposed to be the holy section of these people were all of a sudden now filled with jealousy, a very human emotion. Are there ever times in your life when you're at your job, you could be at school, you could just be with your friends, and you're attacked or approached or talked about, you're bullied because of the human emotion of jealousy. See, even, even the people of this time felt that emotion. Because jealousy is definitely one of the tools of the enemy of your heart. Please understand that. Don't let it overtake you. So then all of a sudden, as they were in the middle of Solomon's porch, and they're doing all of this. The high priests get angry. Now remember where they are. They're in the public, so everybody can see this. So the, the priest says, you know what? We can't let this go on. we got to stop that. And then we have to make an example of them. So it says in verse 18 to 21, he says, They laid hands on the apostles, put them in public jail. That's important. You'll find why, why in a minute. But during the night, an angel of the Lord <laughs> opened the gate of that prison. And taking them out. See, when God sends his angels to protect you folks, he does it all the way. He holds your hand to the end. 
The angel just didn't open the doors and tell them, get out and go. The angel took them out and said, come on, we got to go, something to do. And then in verse 20, he says, go and stand. Speak to the people in the temple. The whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered the temple into the next day and the daybreak, and they began to teach. <laughs> so, so let me make sure I get this straight. The high priest takes them, lays their hands on them. By the way, when people laid their hands on in that language, it doesn't mean they probably they probably grabbed them, put their arms behind them, put their hands around their neck, put them, bend them over, and made them go in almost a prostrate position while they were taking them to jail. The the Roman guard, the the guard of the times in Jerusalem was not nice people, and they were very rough. And this was I love how it says they laid hands on them. Yeah, they laid hands on them all right. They almost tied them up and carried them hogtied because they were angry. And they were probably mad that they had to do something out in front of the public and everything else. But they had to show the people on the public on the outside that you don't do this and you don't do this in front of the power brokers who rule the day. They put them in public jail. See, the thing I'm going to talk about in a second is there's a public jail, then there's an underground prison where Paul was held, and usually the dangerous prisons or prisoners are held. But they put him in the public jail because they wanted the public to see what happens to you when you go against the flow. So in that, the high priest, the high priest power brokers are taking them, they put them in jail, and then all of a sudden God says, okay, God lets all of the Roman guard, the captain, the high priest, Annas, Caiaphas, all the Sadducees, all the Sanhedrin, everybody, they're going to sleep that night, and then all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up. Many times when the Holy Spirit shows his intervention, you may be the only one that knows. There may be a time when you're in the middle of something heavier and bigger than you think that you could ever be a part of or do, and then the Holy Spirit shows up. And you might hear something. I've looked at my wife before and said, did you hear that? She goes, no. Wait, didn't you just hear that? And she looks at me like I've lost my mind, like more than normal. <laughs> and I say, I say, no, you didn't hear that? And so then I know now, it took a while, I'm 62, almost 63, but it took a while for me to start to wake up and go, wait a minute, that means God wants me to write something down. And then he gives them these words, speak to the people all the words of this life. Notice that at no time did, did the Holy Spirit come in and say, okay, Sarah, just so you know, I need you to go to Bible college for six years, and then I want you to be able to go and teach and do what you got to do. You see what I mean? He didn't say, you know, he didn't say, Anthony, just so you know, I need you to go to a Bible college that's going to create you, and you're going to be a missionary, and then you're going to go do this, and then you're going to go do that. That's not what he said. Just like the blind man before the Sanhedrin in the story before. When he said, look, I don't know all of that. All I know is that once I was blind, now I see. You see, each one of us has our own story. Each one of us know where we came from. Each one of us have that person that we look at in the mirror who is so different than everybody else around us sees. But we know that person in the mirror. And now, as we know that person in the mirror, we want to say, that person's not worthy to do this. That person's not ready to do this. But God says, no, wait. <laughs> 
I need you to go into the people and speak the words of this life. That word, this, in the original language is very specific. It is per- first person singular. It is the one thing that each person individually has that's different from everybody else. See, he didn't want them to go into this life about the whole, all the apostles. He didn't want them to go. He wanted them individually to talk about their life. So as Eric talked about today in the Thanksgiving dinner thing, let's say you invite, you, you put a couple of chairs out there and all of a sudden somebody comes in that you barely know. You know a little bit, not much. They're going to look at you like you've lost your mind. And don't worry, you'll get used to it. I have. And then you're going to say, Here's, they're going to look at you and ask you, why do you do this? And then guess what? You get to speak to them about this life. This life is the life in Christ. This life is the one that you know who you were. You did that repentance, turned around, and now who you've become because of who you are in Jesus. You know that this life is the one that's now being directed by the Savior of the world, the God Almighty himself who created this, and he's called you for a purpose. And the purpose may be simply be to provide an extra piece of dessert for your neighbor. It doesn't have to be anything big. Some of you work in the background. Some of you work bringing donuts and stuff and nobody knows who they are. Some people work and make sure these bulletins get printed. Some people do all those separate things. Not everybody gets to stand up in front of people and teach. But everybody has a story about this life. If you don't know what it is, I would challenge you to do this. Take a piece of paper, go home, start writing out. Well, in December of 1970, this or 1990, this, and for those of you that are younger, 2010, yeah, I forget who I'm talking to. Those went back in December of this year or June of this year, God stepped in. The Holy Spirit unlocked that prison door of my heart, reached in and said, Come on, Bill. Let's go. For me, it was 1972 at Angeles Crest Christian Camp. I was asked to go play in a rock band. I didn't know there was a church there. Rude. Of course, the cutest piano player and singer that I've ever seen was there, and so there you go. Yes, that's the one I've been married to for 39 years. Anyways, so we know that God moves in all kind, more ways than we can even count. And he puts them, they, has them, they put them in a public prison. Angel of the Lord carried them out. Go speak to the words of this. And then he said, go. As soon as he said, go, what happened? They went. How many times have we heard go? Well, you know, I got my friends coming over today. You know, God, that's for my friend. You know, that's why I go to church and put my tithe money in so Eric can go tell him. I'll just tell Eric to go tell him. I have news for you. If you ever said that to your pastor, pastor, close your ears. If you ever said that to your pastor, yeah, it's not going to go. He'll, he'll go, but he'll take you with him to go. That's how that's going to work. Because we know that we are here to equip, but you are the ministers. And that's what we want to see. That's what he told, sorry, that's what he told the disciples in this life. When you speak the words of this life, you're talking about the life that he has given you, and that's the one that you want to have. So, once they get there, then we get to 
the next morning. Now, Mark will do the slide in just a second, not yet. So um, Acts 5, 21 to 24, let's go there. Now when the high priest and the associates came, they called the council together. Okay, now understand, they are not, by the way, back up at Sodom, Solomon's portico and things. They need something to be done a little bit closer. It took me a while to find out where they were, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. And sent orders for the prisoners to be brought out. But the officers who, <coughs> excuse me, went to the prison <laughs> did not find them there. And they returned and reported back. They said, well, we found the prison locked quite securely, making sure that they covered their cells. And the guards were standing at all the doors. But when we had opened up the prison, we found no one inside. When the captain of the temple guard hears this, the chief priest heard this, there's, I love this line, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. Give you a couple of little historical background on guards and prisons back then. Anytime that a prisoner was, uh, has escaped, let go, something happened to them, it meant that the guards and the, temp the guard captain were stoned right there, then and there. They were killed immediately because of their failure to do their duty in a very simple setting. All you have to do is keep the doors locked which is now why you understand his story and the way he reported it. Look, the doors were locked, everybody was secure, the guards were there, we did our job, and no one was in the room. When God moves in the middle of the night, in your life and in everybody else's life, here's a note. He does so in a manner to get the most impact. And the impact can be for one person, a thousand people, 10,000 people, whatever. But when God moves, he's going to make an impact. So all of a sudden, now we have the realization because everybody's wondering what would come of this. They're gone. So here's our human realization that we are not in control. Because now all of a sudden the high priest is going, wait a minute. Okay, I told you to put them in prison. You said they were in prison locked up. Now you're telling me the doors are all locked, the guards are there, and there's nobody in prison? Did you put them in prison? Because we need to know that like now. They were in the prison. We Trust me, they were there. And then all of a sudden in Acts 5.25, but someone came and reported to them the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Here's the part, the fun part about this, is that that first little part of Acts 5.25, but someone came and reported to them. That is almost a phrase that says this, while this guy is telling them, hey, they're not in there, we don't know what happened, the prison was locked, everything was going on. All of a sudden, a guy walks in from another door, stands up to them and goes, hey, hey, hey. And they look at him and go, look, we're trying to settle something, don't speak. Stop, talk. Okay, but wait, understand. Okay, wait, why did they get in prison? And this guy keeps coming over here and saying, hey, wait, let me tell you. And they keep saying, shut up. He goes, turns around, okay. 
I'm trying to tell them something, but they won't listen. Please, please understand. Okay, shut up, listen. Okay, wait. No, listen. And then finally he says, the men you put in prison are not there. They're teaching in the temple. How many of you remember the E.F. Hutton commercial? Remember that? What happens when E.F. Hutton speaks? Guess what? This little minion that went, that ran from the temple over, he walks in and finally screams out, the men you put in prison are not in there. They're teaching in the temple. The high priest. No, that's not possible. I told him not to do that. That's what he's thinking. At that point in time, what's, what's amazing about the next verse, <laughs> the captain went along. <laughs> the captain went along with the guard. No words. No words. It just says the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence because they were already afraid of what the people were going to do. Now, you've got to understand the whole dynamics of this. So I kind of created a little drawing. Please forgive me because this is the only way I could put this thing together. Okay. Forgive me. I'm back to you. I'm going to go over here. All right. High priest's house, Right? So this is where they all are when everybody's reporting to them what's going on. So now what happens is minion number one takes the blue road because you can see where the public jail is way up there, right? Solomon's Porter goes right here. The theater is in the middle. The high priest says, hey, go get them out of jail. So minion number one, he runs up to the jail to get them, right? It's the shortest route. If I'm going to go do this, I got to go get them. So as he goes up to the jail to get them, then all of a sudden he comes back the exact same way. Here's the amazing part about this. Had he thought about it and either left the jail and come around to the right this way, he would have heard them teaching, right? Because he has to run back down the blue line and says, hey, guess what? There's nobody there. Then all of a sudden this other guy comes from the other side of the thing while he's speaking on the red line and comes down this way. Here's the part about that gets me with God. Had number one guy gone the other way, which is the main entrance to the temple, because going all the way around means you have to go all the way around the temple to come in the back door, the front door. But if had he gone the red line, which is the way the high priest rode and everything, there's all kinds of cities down here. There's all kinds of things that are down there on the bottom of this that where everybody, they always, the high priest always takes the red road because he needs everybody to see that he's walking and strolling through the town watching to see who's being religious. That's what he does. So he goes that way. The other guy goes that way. Understand, the guy that came down to say, listen, they're in the temple, is the guy that came from this way around and back to the high priest's house and finally said, I hope you know they're standing in the temple and teaching. At that point in time, the, the guard almost doesn't say anything. It just says the guard, the captain of the guard leaves and goes with the officers. Now, all I can picture is this, and understand this is how weird my mind works, in that all of a sudden you see this coming down, and now all of a sudden the, the priest just looks up after hearing this and just looks at the captain of the guard and goes. The captain of the guard knows that he's got a problem. He's in trouble. His big boss 
the mayor of the whole thing, the president, looks at him and says, you better go find out what's going on because if not, you're not going to live to see the end of this day. So as the captain leaves with the guard and all the things, he starts going along with them because they have to take them now without violence. They're told that be careful. These guys are very popular. They're signs and wonders. All the people are in awe of the power that they have. All of these things are going on. Do not get rough with them because there's a whole lot more of them than there are of you. I look at that and I think, so what would happen if God's people all joined together for one purpose? We have many, many officials who tell Fresh Beginnings Ministries all the time, well, you can come in and you can tell us about feeding the people, but at no time can you talk about the name of Jesus. I get that a lot. Um, it's not easy for me to keep my mouth shut. Sorry, I just have to be straight up and honest with you right now. There are times this gets me in a lot of trouble, and no, none of you need to ask my wife about that. She don't know. But when we sit there and we, we listen and we hear and stuff, why is it that we don't gather all of our family together, this family, and say, hey, start to pray about this. See, there's some needs in our congregation that I know about, Eric knows about, Jeff knows about, that we would love to share, but we, we are not allowed to do that because the outside power brokers have told us, you know, you can't just share private information at the, you know, whenever you want to. Which is kind of hard on us because we know that if all of you knew all of the needs and things that were going on, that you would jump on that prayer chain with us and it would be even more powerful. We get that. So as they're looking at this, all of a sudden, don't get violent with them when you go put your hands on them again and bring them in. Let's not create a bigger problem. Bill, don't really need to talk about Jesus. Just help us, just let us help you feed people. Now, they brought him back. Now, here's the fun part. As you look at the, oh, I can need my map one more time. Because in this, what is finally, I found out by some serious research and just my analness kicked in, sorry. But they decided to take them to the theater this time. So now they're not in Solomon's portico where they're protected under things. Remember they said, get them without violence. In other words, they knew if they had them at Solomon's portico, there'd be a problem because they're surrounded by their own people. So they bring them over to the theater just to make a spectacle of them. The high priest starts to scream at them. Okay, listen to me. Acts 5, verses 26. To 28. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them. I love to question them because the tone of his voice in the next two verses is not a question, it's seriously accusative and angry. And he says, 
I gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, I'm sorry, but who really did it? Just, okay. As he's screaming at them and yelling at them, look what you're intending to do. We know you're intending to bring this man's blood upon us. Because here's what Annas and Caiaphas want people to remember. It wasn't them that sent him to the, it was Pilate. Remember, Pilate's the one that told him he had to, you know, he's the one that arrested him and didn't let him go. So don't blame us. And then remember, he asked if you wanted to release him or Barabbas and you all released Barabbas. And that's what he, so really it's not on us. It's all of you that did it. That's the a politician who wants to point fingers at somebody else. I'm going to leave that one alone. So then we get to a point of understanding one thing. He gave them strict orders. Why are you going to bring this man's blood upon us? We told you never to do this again. We told you never to do this. You cannot teach in this name. He couldn't even say the name of Jesus. You cannot teach in this name. And here's the great part. Peter and all the boys are standing there and they're listening, right? They're not afraid. Silence comes over them again and finally the high priest as he's waiting for them to answer. Peter just looks at them and goes, well, we have to obey God rather than man in a very calm voice. Silence still. The rage is burning. The high priest is getting ready to fire up. And in that calm verse, the next verse, verses 30 to 32, Peter starts and says, okay, you want to do this? Let's do this. Here you go. The God of our fathers. That's phrase one. Because phrase one is telling them, Peter knows that I have the same God that you do. Remember, I'm from the house of Israel as well. The God of it raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging them on a cross. It's a traditional way to die for when you insult somebody. And then he is the one God exalted at his right hand. By the way, that is a very Jewish phrase. It goes back to the Old Testament. Peter is using all the phrasings of their own book against them. And he says, God is at his right hand as a prince and savior. He's using all the words that you are never supposed to use to those who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, to grant repentance to Israel. Because here's the thing, when the real Messiah comes, that's what he's going to do. He's going to grant repentance to Israel. Peter is reminding them of everything they knew from the time that they began to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Psalms and Proverbs, and all of the um, prophets. As they're doing that, he says to them, and we are witnesses of these things. Oh yeah, so is the Holy Spirit. I, I, if I was Peter, I would have been able to say, and so is the Holy Spirit, you know, the one who dwells in you also. But okay, we'll go on from there. And then he says, whom God has given to those who obey him. So if you want to know why I'm not obeying you and I'm obeying God rather than you, it's simply because God is the one that told me that I needed to obey him first. 
And by the way, he told you that too, but you didn't listen. Anyway, but he didn't say that. I was just a bill. I, that's another free one. Okay, Acts 5, 33. Love this phrase. When they heard this. How many of you have in your Bible, it says they were cut to the quick? Anybody have that in their English Bible? It says they were cut to the quick. <laughs> uh, and intended for one thing and one thing only. They wanted to kill them desperately. Because everything that those holy men stood for, the power brokers, the leaders of this religion stood for, was just insulted, dissected, and basically walked upon. And so they were not just cut to the quick. They were, had malice of forethought, as my daughter-in-law enforcement would say, to do one thing, and that's to commit homicide. I, I just got to share with you, I know I'm a little bit of a freak about the original languages. Dio prianto tiscardius. That's what we've translated as cut to the quick. But really what it talks about is they felt stabbed in the heart. You want to make somebody mad? Let them feel like they've been stabbed in the heart. Jealousy comes out again, doesn't it? It's coming back to get us again. The high priest, the Sadducees, had anger with intent to kill. That's where we are now. And by the way, on the map, just one more time, Mark. I want to seal the map one more time. If everybody had taken the red road from the beginning, then God, they would have found out what God had done quicker. The whole fact that they, the first guy went this way and had to come back, the only way that they could do the thing where that, the, the narrative where that somebody said, hey, they're not there, and then the realization of here's where they are. How come nobody sat and asked, well, they could have, we don't get all the words, but how come nobody said, okay, wait a minute, if the prison is locked securely and stuff, how are these guys back teaching in the temple? Nobody asked those questions. But the amazing part is that if they had gone this way to the right, they would have seen and that would not have happened. If they'd gone to the left, all of them, then they never would have found them. God often will use the most unlikely person to carry out his will. So I need to let you know, whether you believe or not, God can use you. You don't have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ for God to say, hey, I tell you what, you go ahead and tell him he can't go that way tonight, but he needs to go another way. Because had he gone this way, and this may have happened to some of you, you heard of a wreck, an accident, an emergency, or something that happened in that way, and now because you all of a sudden were redirected this way, it was an angel of God watching out for you. I don't know how many of you have, but I have multiple instances where the angels of the Lord showed up in my life, and it wasn't until much later that I found out. Got to hold on to those. Got to hold on to those. And here's why I know that God will speak to those that don't believe. The next part of this, Acts 5, 34 to 39. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council, put his hand up, gave his order to put the men outside for charge. Just let them go outside for a minute. And he says, men of Israel... 
You need to take care of what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up. Remember him? He claimed to be somebody important, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But then he was killed by his own people, and those who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Remember that? That was just, it would have been about 18 years before this. He said, and then after that man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. See, so Gamaliel has all these instances of, look, when they're false and they're not real, they're not real. But he says, in this present case, in verse 38, I say to you, stay away from these men. Leave them alone. For if this plan of action is of men, it will be overthrown and fall down and nothing will happen. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In fact, you can't stop it. Or else you may be even found fighting against God himself. Two things in this part that I got to bring up. First, Gamaliel is a very respected teacher of the law. He's the big guy. He's the one who trains all the future high priests. And there was a young guy named Saul that he was getting prepared. He was teaching him and training him because this young Saul was going to be the next high priest. The problem was they sent him to Damascus and God had a different plan. But the whole idea of this is simple. When Gamaliel speaks, he says, be careful what you propose. They respected this man well enough in their own circumstances to listen to him. Understand, he's not a believer. He's not someone who knows that Jesus Christ is the Savior, but he does know this. Don't mess with his people. He saw the power of God so powerfully in the apostles and the disciples that he knew better than to mess with them. He knew better to say, yeah, yeah. you better be careful with this one. Notice how he didn't warn him in Theodos or Judas. He didn't warn him about those. But he says, this one's different. How many of us can say that Jesus has strongly been recognized in our life that others are going, yeah, don't, don't challenge him. That won't go well with you. So in 40 and 41, it says they took his advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Now, flogging is done with a whip with steel and rocks in it and all kinds of stuff. It's not a pleasant experience. They were most likely bleeding from their backs, and, and it was things. They could only give them a maximum of 39, but then in some cases you can go to half to do 20, which is what they suspect that they all received was 20 lashes with that, that whip. And then they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus. And then they released them. So these guys are having to be helped to people's houses. 41 says they went on their way from the presence of the council. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. How many of us rejoice in our sufferings? See, suffering 
does things to us spiritually. When I was wearing that machine and I was up on this stage, I will confess to you that the days before I considered calling the pastor to say, dude, I've got this machine on me. It wears me out. I can't do, I can't do this. I can't do this. I tried to call him twice, just so you know. He was nowhere to be found because I found out that he was help, actually helping another family in a crisis. I found out later. But the whole day I was trying to tell him, look, Eric, you've got to find somebody else to do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Eric didn't know it. But it was God who said, dude, you're not getting out of this. So don't be a dummy. Just do what I tell you to do. We can make all the excuses we want to follow God's will, especially because we know it's there. We can use all the excuses we want. We can say family, friends, circumstances, I got to work, I got to do all that stuff. We can claim all of that stuff. I'm going to school. We can make all those claims, but the fact of the matter is that when God calls you to do something, it, even if, as Jonah found out, even if you go this way when he tells you to go that way, he's going to put up roadblocks and you're going to wind up going that way. So my advice, real gang, to tell you when you know God's will is in your life and he's calling you to do something as small as it can be, please just go do it. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble. I promise. Amen? Because I don't see that we're going to be able to not do what God calls us to do, especially when he equips us to do it. Because as we saw with Penn, a confirmed atheist a few weeks ago, how much do we have to dislike somebody not to tell them that we have the way to save their life for all of eternity? When God calls you, you've got to go. So I want to share with you a little story. Kathy and I lived in Henderson, Nevada about 10 years. And in that time, we, we helped to start a church. I was a worship pastor at a church for many years. And then we were called to go help start a church in Henderson called Paradise Community Church, Paradise Hills Community Church. And during that time, um, my daughter played softball for a travel team. She was getting ready to go to be with Team USA and all that fun stuff. And she was traveling. So in travel sports, as many of you know, you get to know all the families together because you're doing things so many hours of the day and weekends and stuff. And it's, you just you get to know each other real well. <laughs> in that travel time, we got to know a certain family, a woman who was a single mom, of a 14-year-old girl who was an amazing cat, uh, outfielder, by the way. And she could hit the ball great. Anyways, don't get me started on sports, Bill. Stay, stay focused. So when we, when we get to this, we, we start to know this family well. The mom then gets diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And every day I would go on my way to work or wherever and go up to the hospital and, and start visiting them and things like that. She got out of the hospital. Then she came to one of the games and she said, I really want to know this Jesus that you all know. <laughs> Usually I have to talk people into it, but okay, wait, what, what, what? She says, no, you are all so kind and caring. You don't ask us for money. You don't ask us for anything. I don't understand why you do this. So we sat down with her and we started telling her. Because the Lord that we serve says love one another. That's what he says. He doesn't say love the ones that believe and do the same thing you do. He says love one another, whoever they are. I want you to understand his love for you is greater than anything I could ever do. She got saved. 
She really wanted to get baptized. Her family was of a religion that were so anti-Jesus, it was amazing. So her family then thought that I was trying to take her money, her, you know, change her will, get her house, get her all this stuff. And I didn't even know where she lived. I didn't know anything about her. I didn't care. All I knew was that she kept coming and wanting to talk. So when she went into the hospital, we would sit down and have Bible studies together. She started to learn who Jesus was. We went through the book of Mark together, in fact. And as she, the more she said, I, I need you to do something. You know I don't have much time. I said, I know. She said, but I'm going to heaven. I said, absolutely. She said, can, can I get baptized before? I want my family to see. And I said, sure. But unfortunately, four days later, she passed away. Never got to be baptized. But she knew where she was going. Her daughter knew where she was going. Her family was very angry. She said, I need you, before she passed away, she said, I need you to go to the, my family at the, at the services and I want you to tell them my story. You tell them who I am, what has become of me, and why I know I will be in heaven. I need you to do that at the funeral. I said, well, okay. <laughs> you, you know, I could get flogged and stoned up there. I mean, <laughs> but... Eric would confirm, and Jeff too, is that when we are given specific instructions by the person, we don't have a choice. It's not something you can push off and say, yeah, I'll let so-and-so do that. That's, you know, you know I'm going to have Mike come. We'll let Mike do it. Come on, Mikey, come on over here and do this. I don't get to do that. So I got there. We showed up at the services where the place was. And it was real interesting. It was, it was much like our church, except there was one aisle down the middle and two things like this. And this side was all the family side of really non-believers. And it was about three quarters full. But this side <laughs> was packed. People were standing, everything else. But I was amazed that nobody wanted to mix. <laughs> I don't understand why that is, a whole church thing. I don't know. So they didn't want to mix. And... Before it service, about a half an hour before, the head of their religion and six of his little people, young people, asked if they could speak to me over in a hall across the way. So I walked across the parking lot, okay. So I go in there, and I'm standing there, and they begin to form a circle around me. Now, guys, okay, I'm going to confess. Most of you know that I was raised in the west side of Long Beach, that yes, I was in a gang, and I've got chain marks, stab marks, I got a bullet hole in my leg, you know, all of that stuff. I went to the dark side for a minute, just a second, and I looked around and I said, yeah, there's not enough of you in this room. <laughs> Sorry, I had to confess. I don't want you to think I'm perfect. Because I had to say, you know, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought for a minute, I'm thinking, yeah, there's not enough of you in here. Then I had to close my eyes and ask the Lord to forgive me. And I said, yes, how can I help you? And the leader of this group looks at me and he says, out of respect for the family, we need you to never say the name of Jesus. Again, I started to get hyper. <laughs> The Holy Spirit kept my mouth shut. Thank you, Jesus. And all I could say to him was, well, we have a problem. You see, 
the body, the soul of the person who's in that casket right there is the one who, before this happened, came to me and said, I need you to give this message to my family. And I agreed to do that. And now, as a person in my position, just like you would be in this position, would you not be obligated to give that message? And he says to me, with the very straightest face that he could ever come with, he says, yeah, but we are different from you. Okay. I thought of a whole sermon I could give right there, but then I just let that one go as well. And I said, okay, then here's the thing. I can't do what you're asking, but I will try to be very respectful to the family. (laughs) They said, yeah, whatever. They turned around, they all filed out in front of me, and I came out, and my my, the pastor, the lead pastor, I was just associate pastor of the church at the time, but my lead pastor was there, Kathy was there, all my family, her family, and all the friends, and they came and said, what happened, what happened? And I told them, and I said, is that not the coolest thing ever? And they're going, wait, what? I said, two things. First off, the fear they have for the name of Jesus is just over- overwhelming. That just blows me away because they fear that name above all else. That name must hold so much power in their religion that they know that if they hear that name, something's going to happen. And they're afraid of it. But the other side, the part that's hard for me to talk about, to be honest, I got to be worthy of being censored. They wanted to censor me. How much power do they think I have Well, you know, I'll let you walk next to me if you want to. No, I was humbled. It took me a while to get myself together because to be, I understand when Peter says, they were amazed and rejoicing at the fact that they got to suffer for his name. Because very rarely do we get to do that. And I got to do it. Okay, so just so you know, everybody wants to know, okay, so tell us what happened. Well, here's what happened. (laughs) I had a message all prepared that was different, but because they did that, I, I, okay, so a little bit of the West Side Boy came back for a minute, but I used basically all Old Testament scriptures related around Jesus to give the message of the Messiah And at the very end, they all got up and walked out on me before I could pray. Wow, bummer. I felt really bad, but I used their own scriptures against them. I used their scriptures that they don't ever want to mention or hear because it talks about Yeshua HaMashiach. And I even said those words at the end of the message. And that's kind of when they all went out. And I went, okay, God, maybe I shouldn't have gone that far. But anyways... It's like having the guy right here in the legend just going, yeah, Yeshua HaMashiach, you know, pushing him out. There comes a time in your life when those messages, when the challenges will be put forth. So there's a couple of things that I need you to understand about this narrative and this message. God is always in control. Whether you believe it or not, whether those you're speaking to believe it or not, guess what? The creator of the universe is still in control. 
I would love for us to be able to say, when we were kids and we, we, we knew I was saved, I was still part of the other side a little bit, and I knew better than to say, Jesus, you sit here, I'm going to go to a place where you don't really need to go, because, you know, I knew I shouldn't have been there either, and my, you know, I shouldn't have done that either, but I wanted to go there. And Jesus just looks at you and says, no, that's are the places that I definitely want to go with you, and he goes. So whether you believe it or not, God is in control. And he's going to use whoever it is he needs to perform what he needs to do. So don't be surprised when all of a sudden bosses, professors who don't believe, friends who don't believe start to argue with you on things and tell you that there's a different way you need to do this. Okay, well, that may be true. But the fact of the matter is that when I do it the way that God intended it for it to happen, life change happens. The other thing we need to know is that in surrender, there may be suffering. At no time does God guarantee that becoming a Christian, following the Savior Jesus, will you have a perfect, peaceful, always controlled never never in conflict you won't have that life the amazing part about what he wants us to know is in john 16:33 he says very simply jesus is talking to his disciples before he leaves these things i have spoken to all of you that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you're going to have tribulation. But take courage. Stand strong. Because know this above all, that I have overcome the world. Dear family, if you hold this truth to be true, please share it. Please let everyone around you know that you have a way for them to be saved for all of eternity. For all of you that have been put in a neighborhood and don't know why you've been put in that neighborhood, seek. Listen to the Lord and he's going to show you. God's going to let you know that there's a reason that you are where you are. When our eyes are opened, how could we be excited not to share that with others? How can we remain silent? I would challenge you with this fact. Think about those around you. Go home, jot them down. If you're driving in a car, now please don't blame Bill for this. You're going to be driving in the car and randomly a name, person, some act is going to come across and it's going to be somebody that you know that you need to make contact with. By all means, make contact reach out, email, letter, text, whatever you need to do to let them know you were thinking about them, something this simple. Hey, God brought you to my mind today, wanted you to know that, I hope you're doing well. You will be amazed at the responses that you will get when you do that. Because when God moves, he's not just moving in you, all those people it took to pull off this narrative, God's moving in all those around you as well. And he doesn't stop. 
Don't think that you can just say, yeah, and we're not going to do that and walk away. Yeah, because that, figure out what happened to Jonah. It didn't work well for him either. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here. And here's what I know. I know that we come to this place to get strengthened. This is your power center. This is the place where you get recharged. This is the place where the cells get built up and get stronger. But we get stronger here to do one thing, my family, and that's to go out and tell the others. Not one of you are going to have the same story as any other. And guess what? It's that you get to speak on this life that's important. The amazing part about speaking on this life is that I only have to tell what I do know. I don't have to make up stories. I don't have to make up anything. I can just say, once it was like this, and now it's like this. That is what this life is all about. Let's pray. Father God, you truly are amazing in the way that you work in all of the backstories around us. And Father, we are so grateful, so amazed at your presence in our lives and how you work continuously when we don't even know you're there. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this day who are here. If anyone needs to know you for the first time, may they not leave this place without finding the saving blood of Jesus. May they be able to find that saving power that they will be able to tell others around them about this life. And Father, we would ask now for the courage when we are reminded to speak this life. May you give us the courage, the strength, and the words of wisdom to speak at that moment. May your blessings fall on all of us, God as we walk in your ways this day. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.